Impressive Masters of Divinity. Uh, I'm your moderator, JP. And I am here, as always, as usual, I should say, with Father Chuck. Hey. Matt Wells. I, I'm, I'm here for now. I'm hoping I don't get, like, blown away or something. But hi, everybody. And, and our reoccurring guest, Father Fun. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. We are here. We are the Masters of Divinity, and uh, let's let's uh, let's let's have some have some fun. So, uh, I'm not good at beginnings. I'm not. <laughs> I didn't write out an intro. What are we going to talk about this first? Uh, right out the gate. Um, I'm going to tell my story. Uh, your story? Yeah. So, okay. uh, this last couple, well, a couple weeks ago, uh, Charles and I went to the Triennial General Convention of the Episcopal Church, which is our kind of main governing body when all the big decisions are made. And uh, the highlight of one of the highlights of that uh, gathering was that we went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp at the Alamo Draft House at the downtown 6th Street location of the Alamo Draft House in Austin. Yes. Uh, and I was telling JP before we started recording that uh, it was an ex- interesting experience for me because I didn't have the the, 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 in my in my knowledge and memory, the the kind of unique thing about the Alamo Draft House in my mind was that they served food and, and drinks, which nowadays we can get you know at, at AMC. So that wasn't as big a deal, but um, it certainly there's an atmosphere there, and you know uh, Charles was certainly very excited to be there. Um, I'm not a birth movies death guy, so I don't you know I don't have that kind of association with it. But one of the things that they're also really well known for is their very strict phone usage policy, and uh, and so. I, I was telling JP that I spent the majority of the movie, which I did enjoy, but I spent the majority of the movie like anxious about how I felt like I wanted to look at my phone, but I also <laughs> make sure I saw the movie, and so I didn't want to get kicked out. And so, I, so, like, I kept like moving my phone further and further away from me because I could feel like the needlings of wanting to look at it. <laughs> also, on the, we had an event, a, a seminary gathering event, right beforehand, and on the way to the movie theater, we stopped by this vegan food truck. Uh, and got and I got a burger and I put it in my cargo shorts, which are very useful. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be wearing cargo shorts. Um, <laughs> I had a burger, a burger in my Agreed. cargo. We went in there and we bought we bought cokes to to drink during the movie. And I was my plan was to eat the burger during the movie, but then like the whole movie, I'm just sitting there thinking. If they have a strict cell phone policy, then they probably have a pretty strict food policy. And if they're watching to see if I'm using my phone. Then they're probably watching to see if I'm, you know, pulling a burger out of my cargo shorts. <laughs> so I didn't eat it the whole time. It was just sitting there. And uh, I got back to my hotel room, and there was like mayonnaise all over the inside of my pocket. And, uh, and so I just put it in the little hotel fridge and had it for breakfast, and it was not as delicious. So thank you, Alan, for Draft House. <laughs> for it was ruining. an Orwellian nightmare for Father yeah. Fun of the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> Yeah. So Alamo, Alamo Draft House, not the place for rule breakers. That's what we're learning here, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> it makes me, it makes me think of uh, like Soren Kierkegaard and like the Leap of Faith or whatever. That like you know, the, when you're told not to do something, like you, you, the, the, the human nature is the urge to have to do it. Um, right. Chuck Palahniuk talks about this in one of his essays about how he knows people who like on airplanes if they sit next to the emergency door, like it's a struggle the entire flight not to pull the handle. Right. <laughs> um yeah that's funny well that's interesting um that i mean that's it's pretty funny because i, I i'm i'm willing to bet patrick that you probably could have checked your phone like once just to see like you know if you got any calls or, or checking the time and you probably could have eaten that sandwich too <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I i i i always thought the 
Alamo Draft House is mostly just sort of a um, citizens arrest kind of thing. Like it's people reporting, not like they have ninjas off the side or anything. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I don't they know. Could have been, they, they could have they, been watching the entire time. Like I don't know. They go you. to the level of having like Kevin Bacon record their "Put Your Phone Away." So yeah. I don't know. They might have ninjas watching you. <laughs> so well, they don't have. They, and they have an analog system for you know ordering food and stuff. You, you know, you you put you put a piece of right. paper up. It's not like a button. And so somebody has to be watching to see if you put your paper, you know, so. That's true. Chuck, what did you think about the Alamo Draft House? I loved it. I, I loved, um, I, just, as a, just to add to Patrick, because I don't want him to feel like alone in his anxiety. I, I was actually nervous the whole time because I wear, you know, I have an Apple Watch. And I was nervous because yeah. if you move your wrist a certain way, it lights up. And so I was yeah. worried that it was going to like light up and that guy was going to see my watch and, and I have to go like, no, it's the watch. And just had this Seinfeld conversation. This guy like, no, it's not the phone with my watch. I can't help it. It's just as, the watch. As they're dragging you out of the theater. Sure it is, buddy. Sure it is. It's always yeah, the watch. I it's like, I just can't. want to see Evangeline Lilly. Come on. I can't relate with such levels of paranoia. I'm ashamed of you too. Um, I turned that feature off when I went to Alamo Draft House with JP, so that my light, my my watch wouldn't light up. Because <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> I love I love by the way that almost so far every time Matt has spoken, it has been accompanied by thunder. Thunder. And... <laughs> but the the only time I've ever turned off that feature on my watch because I was afraid of it lighting up was the Alamo Draft House. And when I was working with drill sergeants in the police academy. So if that helps you feel better in your level of paranoia at the Alamo Draft House, that's what I reached is I'm going to turn this off so my watch doesn't light up. <laughs> I don't even know how to turn it off because I but I need to like when I'm trying to get the babies to go to sleep and stuff and my yeah. and I move around and they, they, yeah, they it's yeah. it's in the menu somewhere. And now I don't even remember if you have to do it on your watch or if it's in the menus on the phone app. I can't even remember anymore. But yeah, it's there and somewhere. Now Divinity has become uh, the Apple Watch podcast. The Apple Watch. Wow. All right, guys. Uh, you take your phone out now forward. and you go to go to settings. Only, and then how's everybody's calories doing today? Uh, I, I'm the only free wrister here. <laughs> I'm the only uh, I'm the only nude wrist. What I what I love podcast. just as an aside, since we're going to talk about the this, is uh, is um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> Um, but is that randomly Matt and Heather added me to like their like workout. Like I just one day started getting updates about Matt and Heather's like exercising, like like routines. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm glad to know that Heather like burned some, like hit her goal today. (laughs) And all it has, all it has become because now I work in a place where I can't wear my watch. So I don't get to wear it five out of seven days a week. So now all it's become is when I put it on, for those two days, it's notifications of how um, Father Charles has completed. His Father Charles has met, gotten a medal. Father Charles has reached his step goal for the day. <laughs> and plus, all of his messages on Messenger as well. Father Charles is shaming your lo- your lazy lifestyle. That's, that's what it's become. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you can hit your goals very easily if you like scale them down to like a hundred calories. It's super mm-hmm. easy. But yeah, I'm like at 400, 500 or whatever. But no, so uh, back to the Alamo Draft House. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, uh, as Patrick kind of alluded, um, you know, I've been a JP introduced me years and years ago to Badass Digest, which since turned into. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I just got invited to share my activity with Father Fun. <laughs> <laughs> He's your accountability partner. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Um, uh, okay, continue. <laughs> so no, it's it's whatever. So the uh, so JP introduced me years ago to Badass Digest, which since morphed into Birth Movies Death, and so I've been kind of you know, and he and he has also kind of spoken somewhat ad nauseum about how how great Tim League and all the stuff he does is. So I was pretty excited to finally go to this. It felt a little bit like a pilgrimage, you know, that I'm I'm going to finally visit an Alamo Draft House, and um, in Austin, in Austin, like the proper place to do it. And yeah. um, it was cool. It was a small theater, only two screens. Um, but what I really appreciated is just like all the detail that goes into what they do with their movies, the just the care and the uh, and the and the really owning the idea that going out to the movies is sort of a special thing and kind of an event rather than like just something to do. Um, and like what I really liked was the, was the pre was the pre-roll um, the pre-roll before it of all the, like, the, cause we were seeing eight man, the wasp. So they had a whole bunch of clips from old, like 1950s, like um, drive in um, atomic era type giant ant movies. Awesome. Um, and, um, and things like that. And then what was really fun was the drink menu. Cause they, they especially curated drink menu for every movie. Um, the drink menu was like the size of a postage stamp and it came with a magnifying glass <laughs> so that you had to use it to, to read the special Ant-Man stuff. It's just like, great. I love those kinds of little touches and things. And I just thought that was such a cool thing. And I think it's cool that that's someone's job. Like mm-hmm. that would be a cool job to just look at a movie and be like, okay, what can we do to kind of add a layer to this just for people who come to this, you know, who are lucky enough to come to this movie theater and, and experience it. Um, it just really sets apart. And I think it's, 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 it, it's doing a good job of why watching a movie on your, on your home television on Netflix is not the same thing as going out to the movies is it becomes a whole experience rather than just sitting down and just looking at a screen, which you can do, you know, we do it constantly in our society. Um, so, and, and, and hearing you reflect and thinking back on it myself, one of the things I appreciated was that there's just a level of intentionality to it that it didn't feel like the fact that there wasn't ads before the movie, which has become so normal. I remember when that started happening and I was just like so irritated by it. And it's now so normal that I just don't even think about it, that you know, when you go to a corporate movie theater, like it feels like a corporate movie theater. And it felt like going to Alamo that this was a place where people like movies and they want and and they all i mean they're also very self-aware and you know and self-promotional and all that stuff like i'm not i'm not saying they're completely without sin but it was nice for them to it was nice to think through that somebody thought oh we're doing this movie about ants and so let's it's it's definitely a movie theater for movie people is what it is so their 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 version of corporate is they've created a corporation that is all about catering to the movie goer so there so it's like and whereas a theater is about how do we get people to come in and fill the seats and get money they're like how do we get people to keep coming back because right they enjoy the movie going experience on the level that we want to enjoy it so it's kind of like the best possible corporate scenario where they're still thinking about the consumer and trying to people back as opposed to just thinking about how do we save our butt and get a bunch of people here and make more money um, which I mean, they have to worry about too. But you know what I mean. It's kind of the best best scenario you can get for a corporate movie theater is one that's bent on the enjoyment of the movie going experience more than just selling tickets. And they know that if we do that right, we're going to sell the tickets. 
it's a circle, but you know what I mean. Focus is different, and it's good. It's good. And 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 you guys are just talking about like you know a, a new movie that came out. I I want to go to like an Alamo Drafthouse event. Well, you know, like like I would love to see like a repertory screening. Like a, a couple years ago, John Landis came down to Austin with like four mystery movies on like on like his own from his own personal collection of film reels. Like that to me, like that that would be really awesome to see well when we were there the other movie that was playing was a revival showing of um or repertoire show we want to call it of um of um what we do in the shadows oh yeah yeah and um and there was a there was a guy there that was i I didn't realize what it was at the when i first saw this guy (laughs) because there was a guy who was dressed like he was just like the dude from sticks like he had on a vest with like frills and just very i'm like but i'm like oh it's awesome yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is Austin. This is normal, right? <laughs> but then I realized that it was uh, that it was what we do in the shadows, and so him and his girlfriend or whatever dressed up as like vampire people for the movie. Yeah. And, um, or they were vampire people. Or they were vampire people. That's also a fair <laughs> yeah, point. Um, it was late at night. I uh, I would love to go to the thing that it, 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 it's Tim League that hosts the uh, is it is it them that hosts that thing where they watch Jaws in a wave pool? Because I think that's a cool idea. They it, it's in the uh, the one of the like a some body of water that's on Austin, some lake. Yeah, they watch it. Yeah, they, they yeah they show Jaws. They have people like swimming around with like shark fins and stuff. And... So awesome! <laughs> Look at that. So awesome! <laughs> <laughs> they set off fireworks and they blow up the shark. No. Well, these guys have heard the guys have heard already. But I um, the other day I went snorkeling and I was I spent about ten minutes or whatever swimming uh, with a four foot lemon shark. And I told Matt about it, and it just sort of reaffirmed why Matt doesn't go to the beach. Because what made it great is as I swam with this shark, I'm, like, weaving through groups of people that are just sort of playing on the beach with their kids, like, in the water, throwing balls around. And I'm like, they have no idea. They have no idea. There's, this, there's a four-foot living shark, like, like, two feet from them. And then, I, of course, then I started thinking about how, how, often, how often does this happen to me? And it being more like a six-foot yeah, black then, tip or something. And then he had a first, a, a first few minute experience of what my life is like every time I put my foot in the water. What's <laughs> a no is there? I would like to say I went to the beach uh, Wednesday with my family, and we had a great day. And as we were walking onto the beach, which I legitimately burned my feet because this is Florida and I was dumb enough to take my shoes off before I got to the water. Um, But as we're walking, I hear the lifeguard guy on the radio say, we got everybody out of the water over there and -and so-and-so, like Jeff, is pointing at it. And I'm like, (laughs) babe, there's a shark. And she's all unsure, so I'm like, no, there's a shark. And she's like, no, it's fine. I still swam with my family while the People around me continually came up to me. Did you guys see the shark? (laughs) Yeah, I hate I hate the ocean, but I still (laughs) swam with my kids and I watched people paddle around on their yellow blow up pool rafts. And I'm like, that's how you die in the movie Jaws. Have you not seen Jaws? You're literally swimming on a screen used prop of Jaws while there was a shark in the water. But I wore my Jaws shoes, so helps nice i like those shoes uh well that's great you guys uh, so let's let's talk a little bit more about about austin and what uh father chuck and father fun uh did while you were there uh or do you which one of you want to talk about uh father father chuck father i mean father fun was 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 there for two plus weeks I and mean, you were there for oh wow really um i just showed up for like three days <laughs> okay I, I mean what would be like do you want to talk about like 
the church legislation business stuff that we did? Or well, do I mean, you don't have to do that. I mean, I'll just t- tell me, like, what 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 was what was the uh, conference about? Like, what was uh, what was yeah, the purpose I mean, of being there? I mean, we yeah, don't just, actually care about what you're there for. <laughs> the, uh, it's actually true that that's that's kind of true for everybody outside the Episcopal Church. No one cares what we do. <laughs> but we well, think the short version then is cares. that. Just the way that our church is structured, you know, we're not we're not congregationalists. We're, uh, you know, connected connected to each other uh, in a in a diocesan and then larger structure. And so the general convention has been since the institution of the Episcopal Church. The first general convention was in 1789, has been the place where the Episcopalians gather once every three years to uh, kind of set the course for the next three years for the for the wider church. Um, uh, and so, you know, adopting a three-year budget and kind of um, thinking about what our kind of political policy goals are for that time, um, uh, doing work like this this year, there was a big conversation around whether or not we should be revising our prayer book and updating our prayer book, which was uh, finalized in 1979, the previous one in 1928. So, you know, that happens every now and then. Um, we looked at same-sex marriage and... Uh, kind of continuing our conversation and support of that. In 2015, we uh, uh, right around, I think on the same day that the Supreme Court came down with the decision, uh, we approved rights for same-sex marriage. And so we had to do that again. Um, And and the resolution this time had a basically an indefinite timeline on it, which was uh, nice for those of us who were in support of that. It just said, you know, that until the next prayer book is revised, you know, these are you can use these, um, and it was a little bit more expansive this time than before. So, it's it's just that kind of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's okay. mostly it's big. It's a big family reunion uh, for people who go to general convention regularly. Um, it's a lot of it, you know it, it's 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 a big question all all every year about like is it too long? Is it too many people? It's a massive legislative body. It's eight people from every diocese in the church. So it's like 820 wow. people or something in, the, in one house. And then the bishops have their own thing and it's like 200 people. Um, and so it's a thousand Episcopalians who are gathered and, you know, for a relatively small church, I don't know what our population is now, but it's probably something like 1.5 million. It's just, it just seems like maybe it's too long, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's cool. It's nice to be part of the structures of the church. It's what part of our ordination vows were to take our share in the councils of the church. And, uh, and that's what we do. And even Charles who came, you know, to observe, he wasn't there as a deputy, but he came and I would say he took his share in the councils of the church by being there and, uh, talking to people, meeting people, you know, all that stuff. So it's a good time, but it's super, it's super nerdy. It's super Episcopalian. And, um, and it's, it's super exhausting. I mean, I was definitely glad to not see a hotel room, um, when we got home. Yeah, I bet. Um, Chuck, do you have any? Yeah, I, I mean, as Patrick mentioned, I, 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 Patrick was there for in an official capacity. I was there as you know, as as he said a few times to few to friends that I was here just a church nerd, um, just to be a church <laughs> nerd. And it's true. Um, I'd never been to general convention. It was my first time ever going. I also never been to Austin, so it was kind of a cool opportunity to do that um, and to see people that I hadn't seen in a really long time, um, and also to see what goes on in the church. And what I what I really appreciated about it. Um, and this is this might be a little kind of inside baseballish of for the Episcopal Church, but one of the things that happens in the church is, I mean, you find this in all churches, but our our version of it is that people get like really anxious about like our liturgies and really anxious about different groups of people having a voice and power. And so, like right now, there's a lot of concern around the baby boomers. Um, 
and there's a lack of trust and you know every so previous years when we had general convention and i've just sort of been watching it from afar and following stuff online there's just such a like sky is falling mentality and there's this sort of like vague they are going to do this like and and so it was kind of I, I wanted to go and see who the they were and and it's a whole different experience to see it happening like in the space with everyone and to see the ways in which people who couldn't be more polar opposite in terms of theology, politics, and other things, um, really trying to work to do something that's in the middle, to do something that is a, a bit of an equilibrium. I mean, it, and that's not perfect. There are times where people sort of railroad their own thing in and it, and it just, you know, people get tired and they just sort of like, whatever, let them have their way. But it, to see, to see the, this, this very diverse and, and very eclectic body of Christians come together to do work to try to be cohesive, you know, to some degree, um, is a really amazing, it was a really amazing thing to watch. And it made me far less, um, far less anxious about the future of the Episcopal church in terms of like, who's going to develop a new prayer book or whatever, because I, I, you know, we, and this kind of makes me think of something I said to friends in seminary who would get paranoid about it and say, well, you know, we're the ones who ultimately, you know, like we're, we're kind of the ones who ultimately make those decisions, right? I mean, it's, it's not just some legislative body that, that hands it down to us. I mean, yeah, they hand it down to us, but ultimately we put it into practice. And so if we don't like it, it doesn't, you know, get, anyway, I, I, I say it gets inside of baseball, so I'm not going to try to like get into too much of that, but, um, but just, it just, it just made me feel a lot better about the work we do as Episcopalians. It made me feel really happy about being an Episcopalian. And it also kind of made me think about how a lot of our problems in the church stem from us trying to be something that we're not. And I mean that on something on both sides of the spectrum, like the, the ultra conservative high church type people want us to be, uh, you know, high church medieval esque, you know, pre Vatican II Latin mass Catholic kind of uh, church where, you know, the liberals want us to kind of be a very, you know, loose congregationalist, almost like uh, it just, you know, there's just, there's these extremes, but really at the heart of it is most people have a kind of a, a more of an intuitive sense of what it means to be Episcopalian. And we're doing a, you know, we're doing the work to kind of articulate that. And I ended up having lunch with uh, members from, um, uh, with, a, with a guy from the uh, Diocese of Central Florida, which is um, a pretty, um, one of the eight really conservative dioceses in the Episcopal Church. And just our conversation was really great. And to see where that diocese is and trying to navigate some of the waters in terms of same-sex marriage and, and stuff like that, and trying to find ways to be healthy and compromising and are really trying to work to hold, you know, extremes together. Well, you know, and, but in a way that sells yourself. So like, cause that's what the people want, not because like, Oh, we got to keep them all here, but because everyone, a lot of people in that diocese, they want to be together despite differences. And so it's just, it's, it's nice to see that in the midst of a, a, a secular political climate where it's so polarized and so, like, unless you agree with me, you're evil kind of right. uh, approach. It's, it's nice to see people working, you know, to some kind of, you know, hopefully some kind of consensus on things. Right. Civility, but with a purpose to accomplish something. Yeah. And, and the other cool thing is, is to, I, I wasn't there for this and I really wish I had been, um, but that, Several hundred Episcopalians gathered in buses and drove out to um, is it the Hutto Detention Center. 
um, which is a women's detention center where a lot of um, immigrants are being held, particularly women who've been separated from their children and stuff like that. I mean, oh, wow. other, you know, other things as a detention center. So it's not just, you know, but there was demonstration about that, um, you know, a very public witness of the Episcopal Church about the treatment of immigrants and criminals and, and, um, and our justice wow. system. And um, so that, that's the kind of stuff that I really like seeing us do. As a church, you know, you know, we're going to, within the church, we're going to, we're going to hem and haw about liturgy um, and and the way we worship, because that's what happens. But I really hope that the world, that the world outside of the Episcopal church, that when they, when they hear about this event, if they even ever do, that it was about the public witness we made about gun violence, about our justice system, um, our commitment to our, our commitments to, to the inclusion of same sex persons in the church and all of that, rather than, you know. You know, oh, you guys want to, you guys are having arguments over whether or not the Trinity is female or male. <laughs> right. Um, which those are big conversations and important conversations, but I think there's, yeah. there, there are other things that are, that are, that are better to hear from, you know, that the world cares about and what okay. I want our witness to be. Great. Cool. Well, uh, shift gears a little bit. Okay. Uh, this all took place in Austin. Yes. And I, I mentioned in hearing uh, how you guys felt about Austin, what your impressions were. Um, so why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, about that, Chuck, if you want to go. All right, sure. Um, I wasn't sure what to what to make of Austin in the, in the get-go, because I, I, I didn't even know what I thought Austin looked like in my head. I just remember hearing, years ago, someone described Austin to me as a guy in a pickup truck with a gun rack and a rainbow flag in the, on, on, in the back window. And <laughs> said, that's keep Austin weird, man. I'm like, okay. So that's just in my mind. I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I thought of it as just like a little town, like a little, I don't know. It's like a huge city. I just, I don't know. I just, it's yeah. the capital city. I just never really paid much attention in my head of what it was and or thought much about it. So when I got there and, and saw it was cool, I, I, I was really, I was really, I don't want to say surprised, but I was really, um, people are very friendly. Austin's an incredibly friendly place. And, um, and I, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the friendliness of people in Austin. I met, I had really great conversations. I mean, one of the, one of the other pilgrimages I made while I was there is I went to an In-N-Out burger and it was crowded for, it was crowded at lunchtime. There were no tables. And so these two random guys, and I was in my black cassock, I was like fully, you know, priested out and they were like, Hey, do you want to sit with us? And so like, sure. So I just sat with these complete strangers, had conversations about church and what they do and, and, and different things. Um, and, um, you know, and I, the, the number of Lyft drivers that I had were very, like, just really, commun- they weren't just sort of like, where do you want to go and just keep quiet? Like they were, you know, friendly, yeah. talkative. And, um, and that was really, that was interesting. It, it didn't seem as weird a place as, as I expected. Um, and, and maybe that's because I've been to Key West, but Key West seems Probably. way weirder than Austin. Well, and the, the 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 understanding is that now that Austin's become such a popular place and so much more developed, you know, there's like a totally brand new skyline now. Yeah. Basically, um, it's not as weird as it used to be. Okay. Like, yeah. Like back like back in the '80s, like that, I think it's kind of when the "Keep Austin Weird" uh, motto came out. It was in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch the if you watch some the Richard Linklater movie Slacker, like that's <laughs> that that's. That's the super weird Austin, but okay. you know it's it's a you know it's, it's it's a big city now, big very modern city. So. Yeah, 
I, I, I think I told Patrick this. Uh, my my takeaway is almost like somebody jammed Key West in the middle of Orlando because it has yeah. like this very new kind of very clean skyline like Orlando has. Mm-hmm. But then there's this chunk in the middle of the city that's grungy and old and just reminded me of Key West with, I mean, homeless people everywhere. But then like people who are like, you know, sort of derelict former hippies and current hippies just sort of floating around. I mean, like when we were walking to that barbecue joint for um, a seminary reunion thing, there was this topless woman just sort of screaming <laughs> at cars as they drove by. Oh and, um, and, oh, um, laughing, yeah. And just a lot of, uh, just a lot of, a lot of that, um, that wow. was, you know, that was, that was there. Um, great barbecue. um, and, um, though I didn't have any tacos, my, my Lyft driver that I had when I left, he was like, he was like, he was kind of offended that I didn't eat tacos while I was in Austin. He was like, that's what we're here for, man. It's like, it's like barbecue with tacos. I'm like, okay, well I didn't know that. <laughs> that's um, funny. Yeah. But a walkable city. Um, I enjoyed walking around the town. I, I um, I did a lot of that. It, it you know, wasn't as humid as it here in Florida, so it wasn't as bad. Um, I went to the bat bridge one night, watched the. It, the, the, it was a Congress, the Congress Road Bridge, whatever, and watch all these bats fly out one night with a whole bunch of people. Like that's like a big touristy Sweet. thing. Um, that was neat. What was cool though was when I when I was there, there were people on paddle boards who had paddleboarded under the bridge to watch the bats, and I was like, that would have been a cool thing to do. Um, but cool. yeah, so I mean, it was just it was a cool city. It was a walkable city. I felt it was you know I it, like it's, like I said, it's very modern um, and. Um, I had a, you know, my three, four days that I was there, I had a, I had a really good time. I mean, I spent a lot of it in a overly air conditioned conference room, listening to, you know, um, parliamentary procedure. Um, and a lot of, we can talk about this maybe if you want to, but in a lot of just, I got so sick of the stupid pigeons, Patrick, just like enough ref. I mean, I was only there for four days. I can only imagine how you felt about the stupid pigeon references. There's a pigeon problem in Austin. Is that what you're telling me? No. Do, do you want to talk let me, about let me this? Do my, let me do my Austin overview, sure. and then we can. Okay. Um, right. um, yeah, I, it, it was fun for us to go down there. Again, we didn't see much of Austin because we were busy the whole time. But, like, um, it was nice to be in a city as a vegan. It was nice to be in a city where there were a lot of options and kind of fun stuff. Um, you know, we don't have much experience with food trucks here in Manhattan, Kansas, um, oh. either. And so going and, you know, finding food trucks um, it was a lot of fun. I think, like, in general, my takeaway from Austin was I I was just really assaulted by – I think that's the right word – by the by the homelessness and the transience. Yeah. It was it was incre- – transience with a C-E, not a T-S. Um, it was just – there was a lot – there was a lot of people um, who were down on, down on their luck uh, and, and, and aggressive in their, um, in their asking for help. Um, you know, you all you, – you, well, a couple of you live in big cities, and so maybe you see a lot more of that than I do in a, in a smaller town in Kansas. But uh, for some reason, it just really, like, hit me um, everywhere you go. Like, you just see it, and then if you're walking, you see it as well, um, and you hear about it or hear it. Um, so, but in general, it was good. Like we went, we didn't do the bat thing cause evening stuff is hard with kids, but we did, um, I, I took the kids to whatever the big park is where, where the, the Springs are, Barton Springs are. Um, it was a Tuesday, so they were closed for cleaning the pool, the, the pool part. And so we didn't go swimming, but, um, I took them down to the kind of runoff area where the, you know, dirty hippies were with their dogs and we kind of <laughs> waited in the water and, you know, did did park stuff, and um, Ernie just keeps talking about Austin. Um, I think she thinks it's the best city ever, but you know, she didn't. She she also misunderstood. 
I didn't realize this was happening at the time, but she misunderstood the, the daycare that she went to a couple times. Mostly she was hanging out with her aunt and uncle, but she went to the uh, general convention like daycare a couple times and she kept calling it seminary. And so at one point before I realized what she was calling seminary, there is, we do have an Episcopal seminary in Austin and, and it's not the one we went to. We went to the one in Virginia. And so one day she was saying, um, I'm going to go to seminary. And I said, Oh really? And she said, uh, she said, yeah, the one in Austin. And I said, Oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> and what she was saying was she wanted to go to daycare, but like, I was like, Oh, she wants to go to seminary. Interesting. You know, I'm like, Oh, you've been brainwashed by your aunt and uncle, you know, to, to go to ETSS. Um, so yeah, like, like I think anytime, especially in our social media age, I'm, I'm on the pigeons now. Um, <laughs> in our social, in our social media age, there's all this buzz that's happening around what's happening in general convention. And I was telling a, uh, the, our diocesan communications person who wrote for Episcopal News Service that I was really thankful for the actual like thoughtful journalism in, in the follow-up. It's been nice to kind of reread through everything and kind of be like, okay, I kind of missed that or misunderstood that. Because when I was there, it was all about like kind of being on Twitter and kind of reading what Twitter was doing and then also being in the room and doing what was going on in the room. And so that kind of chaotic milieu i think anytime that you're in that kind of a setting people are always like looking for what the meme is going to be you know like there's i i think i wonder if that's like a mindset that we just have as a culture now is like how can i turn this into a joke or how can i like um how can i set myself apart by being the one to come up with this thing with the thing or whatever what's the thing of general convention going to be and the thing of general convention this year it wasn't like i don't want to be this guy but it wasn't about like Jesus or like love or uh, about mission or immigration or same-sex marriage. The thing of general convention was that like on the first day of convention, it's a huge convention center. And so there were like two or three pigeons who were like in the big convention hall. And, you know, it's not like a con where you're walking around to booths all the time. And so you maybe wouldn't see them. Like you're all sitting in a space looking up at the same thing, you know, the, the, the platform, the head table, and so when the pigeons would like fly by, like everybody would see them. And so then somebody makes the general convention pigeon account. And then it's like every single, like all, all the kind of like in between stuff is people who are writing poems and songs about pigeons and like they're <laughs> getting up in the middle of parliamentary procedure to like have a point of personal privilege so that they can read this poem that they wrote about the pigeons and like the jokes on Twitter about the pigeons. And then even the president of the house of deputies is making pigeon references and pigeon jokes. And it's just like, like it was funny for a day and then it was 12 days. You know, <laughs> it was too, it was too much. And I, I just think that that's like this, it's this thing we do where we have to, I don't know, belittle the work that we do. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it honors the work that we do to be able to say that we can joke at the same time. I don't know. But it just it, it was more irritating than anything. I don't need to get all philosophical about well, it. By the time I got there, um, let me just say that it was either the second or third day that I was there. Maybe actually, I think it might have been the last day actually of business before the closing Eucharist. Three priests got up on the days with dice, whatever you pronounce that word. They got up wearing pigeon masks. Like, you know, like those rubber horse masks with pigeons. And they were like clergy from the pigeon delegation. And they had like the, – the only thing that funny came out of that is that it said that none of them are cardinal rectors. I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, 
but it was like it was just sort of like strange and i tweet i i posted a thing on facebook and instagram about it i said this is going to be one of the things i'm going to have to explain to my congregation when i get home and like i meant that as a joke but i also meant that kind of seriously as like this is what i'm going to have to explain because it just sort of feeds into sort of that they mentality what are they doing up there what are they doing and so to see an image of three priests dressed up like pigeons and you're like yeah, this is why we have a tough time being taken seriously. Um, it's you know again, I could get philosophical too, Patrick. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna follow your lead and not do so. But it was like, it was it was really it's, obnoxious. It definitely it definitely is a good example of one of my favorite lines from The Office, where it was like, <laughs> inside jokes. I love inside jokes. I hope you're part <laughs> of one someday. <laughs> Well, I mean, it feels like, I mean, you, you guys are at this uh, this conference. You said it's like 12 days long. And, you know, you're talking about some pretty heavy things, really heavy things happening in the country, things you're trying to get your involved with. Uh, you know, so like, I mean, you know, when there's something kind of something that kind of breaks the ice a little that everyone's sort of a part of, you know, of course, that's going to be like the big humorous outlet, you know, because I'm sure you're not doing like, skits every day or whatever you know you're not like you don't have like a like you know you two's not there performing so it's like you know it's like oh here we're having this really serious thing for like 12 days but there's these pigeons that keep showing up you know it's it's like like a pressure release or something yeah yeah i mean, I mean it's that's better than getting sloshed every night you know like there, there, there are other ways that pressure release could be bad so Sure. Well, speaking of pressure release, uh, one of the days that that all was going on, I had just heard about the pigeons. I hadn't seen them. And I was sitting in sort of the, the peanut observer gallery area off to the side. And I looked up in the rafters and I saw the pigeons for the first time. And two of them were definitely having sex, like right <laughs> above me. <laughs> I kind of wish I had like a decent enough like angle to have gotten like video of that and just posted that online. But yeah, Matt, what's your opinion on the pigeons? I need to know. I'm I'm still here. <laughs> it is funny hearing it out of context. Just sounds like um, like the the Bible camp youth retreat and the kind of stuff that they would joke about. It's just yes. funny that it's the same humor. Like they would have shown up. The counselors would have shown up on stage in pigeon pigeon masks, and all the junior high and high schoolers would have thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but I think there's truth to what JP is saying about the pressure release aspect of it. But it is funny to hear you guys recount something that's like I can almost almost picture being there just because it sounds like every summer camp and how something would become the big joke of camp. And it, yeah, honestly, it, it did feel it did feel a lot like youth camp in a weird way. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, with more business, obviously, but there was because you know there was church every day, so it was like you're hanging out. With, and I, I mean, I mean it, it, probably different for Patrick being because he was like you know doing actual work. I'm just like hanging out in the peanut gallery, just interacting with people. So I sort of felt like it sort of felt like that. Like I'm just there, just you know seeing my friends and like going and doing a couple of like activities during the day, and then coming and having worship together, and then we're sort of debriefing at night somewhere. It just had that youth camp. You've got your general convention girlfriend uh, that you hang out with. I did not have that. <laughs> if, actually, I, I did. It was you, Patrick. <laughs> I saw you, you guys went to movies together. <laughs> I'm in my room right now watching TV and reading comic books. And why didn't you call when you went out to, to have a drink? <laughs> Why didn't you take him to see the bats, Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. Make, 
he did one night text me and said, what are you up to? And it just so happened that I had, uh, I had sent a photo to Kana of me wearing the hotel bathrobe because we're big Jim Gaffigan fans. And there's this whole joke that Jim Gaffigan has about how nobody wears the robe in hotels, like who has time for that. So I put it on and sent it to her. And so Patrick was like, what are you doing? So I just sent him that photo and it's like me <laughs> with like a bathrobe with like my mouth, like my finger on my lip. And I wasn't sure how he was going to respond. The only response I get was lame. <laughs> <laughs> well um this is kind of out of order i probably should have done this before getting the animal draft because now i want to switch gears to uh the movie you guys saw while you were there ant-man and the wasp uh so what did you guys think of the movie uh ant-man and the wasp and matt i know you've seen it as well so uh i'm gonna ask you matt what did you think of ant-man and the wasp i paid to to see it twice but i only saw it once because i fell asleep oh. the first time <laughs> um that I had a good, a good nap. No, that's not a comment on the movie. That is a comment on my life right now and how whenever I finally get downtime and I'm like, I'm going to do something for me, I pass out cold. Um, so it's literally happened in the movie theater. No, but um, I, it's been a while since I saw it now. By a while, I mean, what, like a week and a half, a week ago, a week and a half ago. Um, but a lot has happened since then, working out in Belgrade and all that good stuff. So I don't remember the details of the movie, like specifically, as you start talking, things will probably come back. But I remember leaving going, I really enjoyed that movie. I had a good time watching it. I laughed. Um, it's what I expect of a Marvel movie. And for the first time going, uh, it's what I expect of a Marvel movie. Like for the very first time leaving the theater going, Oh, uh, I don't know if this is like when's what's the next thing? Is there going to be is there going to be cuz they've they've done it. So I'm not saying that they won't, but like it's like okay, it's very formulaic. I walk in knowing it's going to go through the script from point A to point B and I pretty much can nail every step along the way to get there. Um, they have fun surprises in how they show you aspects of it. But as far as the story, the progression, where it's going to go, how it's going to end, you can pretty much nail it before you walk into the theater. Um, and that was this was the first time I felt that watching a Marvel movie felt like the formula is becoming more and more blatantly in your face and wondering when the change is going to be. And the thing that kind of mixes that up a little bit are the giant over-the-top Avengers movies, just because there's so much going on in it that you don't know exactly where each character is going to go. So it's kind of like, what do they do after they've outdone themselves so many times? And now we've got movies with 30 megastar characters and actors playing the characters in one movie, how do you then take your side movie and still make it incredible when you're following a formula that it's starting to become very, very elementary formula when it's maybe time to move into like calculus? You know what I mean? Does yeah. Make any sense? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big complaint that a lot of people have about Marvel films. I bet they had for a while now. Yeah, but and I mean I've heard the complaint and I've heard the whining, but this I is should the just first say criticism, time I felt but... it. Yeah, and this is the first time I felt it in the movie because I've never really had a problem with it because it's still fun. I still enjoyed this movie, so I'm not saying the movie was bad. I still had a good time, still enjoyed it, still went back to see it, but 
I, I left going, oh, wait, I felt it for the first time. Like, you know, I, I my, my theory would be that, like, you know, last year we had, like, Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok. And uh, then, you know, we had Black Panther and then Infinity War. Like, those first three alone were kind of different on their own. Like, they didn't, I mean, they kind of followed the formula, but they were still pretty fresh for what they were. Mm-hmm. And Infinity War, I mean, you could argue maybe not so much, but I mean, it kind of seems to me that Ant-Man and the Wasp would be like pretty, you know, by the numbers as opposed to like, you know, what we came out of last year. Yeah, and see, when when the first Ant-Man movie came out, it's like we were coming off of all the major characters that we were familiar with. And then Ant-Man came out and it's like, who the crap is Ant-Man and who cares? (laughs) And the movie came out and blew us all away. Now it's like, okay, yeah, now we know him. And it comes out again. It's like, okay, this is like been there, seen that. Um, still fun, still a good time, very well, but been there, saw that. Whereas, like, yeah, Thor Ragnarok, when they throw a wrench in there that changes things drastically and it doesn't even look like the other movies, even though it feels like a Marvel movie, it looks like yeah. a totally different movie and how off the wall it is and Jeff Goldblum looking like he. <laughs> raided his closet and came walking onto set to play some off-the-wall alien character. Yeah. Like, when they do stuff like that is when it still it still has the level of excitement that it had before. But right. these but these straightforward movies are starting to feel like maybe we've, maybe we've gone past being able to do that now. Um, and it kind of makes me wonder about some of the new characters that are going to get brought out, that it's like... I kind of feel bad for the actors getting ready to like launch these major new characters like a Captain Marvel. And yeah. I really hope that Marvel does to them, does for them what they did with um, Guardians of the Galaxy, with Thor Ragnarok, with the original Ant-Man movie, um, with the Black Panther movie, and really surprises us at allowing it to feel like its own thing. Right, because if they continue to make their introduction movies feel like the Ant-Man movie, like I would argue yeah. even Spider-Man: Homecoming, although that one worked because we've never seen Spider-Man in a decent movie, so that was a different <laughs> thing. But um, but well, I mean, you know what I mean. Since it's a long, it's a long. There's a long sordid history. <laughs> we waited so long for that movie. Is my point. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I backpedaled that because I realized that's not true, but it, it felt like we've waited yeah. forever to see him in a good movie. Um, but yeah, so it just, it makes me leery. Like, I don't want to see, because I do love these movies and I still enjoy going through them and I don't want to see them become um, something that just fades out and dies off. If Like, right. if the franchise is ever going to go out, I want it to go out in a massive, like, glorious explosion on screen not fizzle out and die after everything they've done and how far they've come so that's my thoughts great father chuck um uh i i really liked it i um was just thinking a little bit about before i we started the recording of what i was going to say about the movie and i it felt a little bit like there's these great moments these these in comic books where you'll have these issues where the characters are not necessarily in costume all the time, and it's a lot, a lot of uh, exposition, um, 
And it's just these, you know, these sort of standalone character pieces that often they appear sort of between events, right? You know, like you'll have the big summer event, your Secret War, your various DC crisis, whatever. And then as they're bridging the storylines, they'll have these like one or two off stories that are like really character heavy and they're very small. Um, and this felt a little bit like that. This felt, I mean, there was obviously like a lot of action and stuff in it. So I'm not trying to say that it, that it wasn't. Um, the stakes were much smaller. I mean, it's a movie, it's a movie about trying to save two lives. That's what it's, a, I mean, that's oh. what it's about. Of two individual thunder lives. went to you now, huh? That's fine. Sorry, the um, thunder's on your end. <laughs> yeah, it's like pouring here. Um, and so, so it's small stakes. It wasn't dealing with the fate of the universe or the fate of a city or the world or anything. It was just two people. They're trying to save lives, and um, and so that was refreshing. I liked that. Um, that's one thing I've liked about both Ant Man movies is that the stakes were small. Um, I no al- pun intended. Yeah, I also. <laughs> thought this was one of the easily since Ragnarok the funniest Marvel movie um, I have gained a, a deep appreciation for um, for close-up magic um, or, um, Patrick's laughing because that was my favorite part of the whole movie was listening to him laugh about <laughs> close-up magic um, and uh, and like the relationship between Scott and his daughter I thought was really was a really great thing in it um, you know, he's the only, other than Hawkeye, he's the only character that's a parent. Um, and to yeah. really show what that means to him as a character. Um, and it was also great to see Evangeline and Lily finally, like finally, like in the role doing something rather than just being sort of a hanger on character. Cause that was, that was a frustrating piece of the first Ant-Man is like, she's clearly a badass and is quite capable in everything she's doing. So why isn't she in costume this whole time? Um, So it was nice to see that. And I think probably my favorite thing about the movie um, is watching the way that they sort of use sort of like a 4D, you know, four dimension combat thing with the growing and shrinking and 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 all of that in a way that was a little bit different than the last movie, because the last movie was a lot of shrinking and resizing. But this was like shrinking, resizing, going big, going small, and doing all of it as part of like a philosophy of combat, um, which I thought was really, really neat to, to see happen. Um, and just using all those different dimensions um, for um, for for the work for the for the for the crime fighting, um, and also um, Goggins, um, Walter Goggins yes. is phenomenal in that movie. He's a great villain, being a Southerner, um, and uh, just I, he he's a character who clearly wants to be on the big leagues. He wants to be like at a level of like a you know he wants to be a supervillain. It seems like, but he's just not. And it's and it was great and uh, and just and again funny. So I don't want to spoil jokes because that's really the best thing uh, about the movie. But I, I love everything Walton Goggins does. I'm yeah, a huge Goggins fan. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've only seen a few things. Obviously, he was in um, um, Hateful Eight um, and Django Unchained. And Django, yeah, um, and uh, he's great in both of those movies. So it was, it was cool to see him in in, in Marvel. Cool, about the fun. Yeah, I, I I loved it. I mean, I had a ton of fun. I really liked it. Um, I can't uh, disagree with any of the criticism that's been leveled. Um, I mean, I think I think that the Ant Man, what Matt what Matt has said is is interesting because like I'm looking back at the original Ant Man and thinking about like what a breath of fresh air it was. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Phase Two was Iron Man Three, Thor: Dark World, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Then it was Guardians of the Galaxy. Then it was Age of Ultron, and then it was Ant Man, which finished out Phase Two. And like, 
you know, you look at the the four of those six movies and they were all like heavy, like conflicty, kind of darker for Marvel kind of movies. And so both Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man were this kind of breath of fresh air, um, you know, take a take a step back from all of that kind of heavy world stuff um, to do these, like you said, character pieces and they're and they're funny. I mean, I I could watch Paul Rudd like comment on paint drying and I would find it hilarious. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm an inappropriately large fanboy um, of him. And, and nice. so I just had it. I just had a ton of fun. I thought it was interesting um, to have Ant-Man be the first uh, character piece after uh, Black Panther, obviously infinity war was in between, but um, they were just very different movies. I, yeah. I think, I don't know if I shared it with you or not, but I was watching the you know honest trailer for, uh, for Black Panther. And one of the things that he, one of, one of the things that he pointed out in there was he was like, it breaks the Marvel formula. You know, it stills the Marvel formula, but it breaks the Marvel formula because he's a hero who just won't quip, you know, and then it like shows all these clips <laughs> of like opportunities for what we would assume a Marvel hero to be like, to say something hilarious. And like Black Panther is like business, you know, like he just doesn't want to do that. Um, and so kind of getting back to the kind of quippiness, but, but it is, it is interesting, you know, Taika Waititi and, and Thor Ragnarok was such a like, like it took it took the Guardians of the Galaxy humor and the Ant Man humor, and maybe it was because it subverted what had already been established with Thor, but like it was so good yeah. that kind of this first chance to get back at normal quippy um, Guardians of the Galaxy Ant Man thing, it didn't it didn't feel as much of a breath of fresh air, even though I was laughing the whole time. Well, um, and and I've. Sorry, go ahead. For you finish no. what you were saying. Well, um, so I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I think they I think they did a cool tie-in to Infinity War, and and I'm interested in to see what they what they do. Um, but um, I I really liked it, and I would highly recommend it. But I can I cannot disagree with the criticisms that have been leveled. Yeah, and and I will say, like I said, I lo- I still I enjoyed the movie. I had a great time watching it. And when you talk about Marvel movies, we've we've dis- discussed before how you're talking about them as a like its own thing. Like, this is not a bad movie in any way, shape, or form. This is a great movie. It's a blast, but you're comparing it to other incredible movies made by Marvel. Um, so it's like its own discussion when, when you talk about them. And and I think that part of what I, and as you guys are talking, I'm getting even like a clearer concept of what I think it was about the movie that was that was kind of hanging on me weird. And part of it is I do like these, these breaks that are the little characters you know the character pieces that bridge the the two worlds like you talked about and i think what i loved about the first ant-man like you're talking about how small the stakes were and in the first one literally the sets are their mansion his house where his daughter lives somebody's backyard with a pool in it um i mean it's they're fighting they're just fighting around the block and it's this huge yeah. universe because they're shrinking down to small size and stuff. But the whole thing takes place like on their street. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, and this isn't spoilers, whereas in this one, they're shrinking entire buildings. They're constantly shrinking cars and growing cars in public where people <laughs> supposedly don't notice that the empty lot next door is now a giant building. And then it's gone the next day. Like it's small stakes on a gigantic, massive scale. And I didn't and I don't yeah. think I liked the two of those being so blatantly in in my opinion, something that's shocking on Marvel's part, so lazily done. Like we'll just 
make them do this because they can and it'll be funny to have a gag where he shrinks a building and pulls out a thing and pulls it like a suit um now because we're marvel and we have money and it seemed like really because in anything else they would have at least had the shot where somebody next door is having like the panic breakdown because the building's gone (laughs) like i'm telling you it was there yesterday like no it's just in this world no it's we just do this because we can do this now and I feel like, especially in Ant-Man, where those cheesy com- comical moments would perfectly fit with a Paul Rudd character running around and the guy next door, like, flipping out that the building wasn't there and him trying to convince the guy, no, it, there was no building. Like, mm. that whole kind of a scene would be right up his alley. And instead, they just do it and nobody cares. Um, the car next <laughs> to you vanishes, no big deal. The building, not there, gone, there again, no big deal. Like, it, it I just feel like... I loved the small scale of the first one and the fact that it was literally small scale. Action sequences took place in a living room and in a literal anthill out back. Like when he grows big and he's in his backyard stuck from the waist down in dirt because he just panicked and grew big in his own backyard. Like those moments are what made Ant-Man awesome. You have this huge over-the-top action moment and then he grows big and you're like, it's comical how literally nothing was happening. And this guy just had this like harrowing scene take place in his world. But then when he grows big, it's like to anybody observing, nothing was happening. It's just this guy in his backyard flipping out for no reason. It's like, honey, I shrunk the kids in, in a marble. marble. Um, and I think I, mi- I, mi- I missed that. I feel like this movie was great and I loved it and I had a blast watching it. But like I said, when we're comparing it to other Marvel movies, I feel like there's aspects of it that have become so formulaic with them that they allowed this one to get a little lazy, in my opinion, on areas of, like, if you're going to do the small story, do the small story and do it justice and do it right and play it up and be comical. We don't constantly need the over-the-top just because we can do it kind of a thing. Yeah, Um, See, almost as you're talking about it, it makes me think that they, they, they sort of moved away from, like, the first Ant-Man really plays with the shrinking thing as a gimmick, and they lean into it as a gimmick. You mm-hmm. know, the whole thing with the Thomas the Train model and, and all of that that, that, that sort of adds to it as a gimmick, whereas this, they kind of took it and tried to make it badass. Um, right. So... Yeah, I'm, I mean, that being said, though, there's some great stuff in the movie. I love the whole bit where he's in the school is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they, this still is a <clears throat> hilarious movie. Like yeah. I said, it's... I, I and I will yeah. and, and I will also say that the good. I forgot about that scene too. Um, Go ahead, I, I will say that the 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 one thing I try to think about later and my 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 biggest criticism for it is I'm not entirely sure like what was the villain's motivation, like you know I mean she's sick oh, and yeah. wants to get That's... fixed, but that it, that risks uh, that risks um, Hank Pym killing somebody else killing or destroying everything. Yeah. So I um. Um, I just thought that it was just kind of an interesting. I don't know. It, it was. It had such a simple resolution at the end of the movie that that I remember thinking like, why couldn't they have thought of that first? But, um, <laughs> right. But anyway, it was fun. It was funny. Well, uh, great. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I love hearing about uh, a movie I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll Go. see it eventually. You need to see it. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't, I didn't feel too bad about you know. You guys talking about it when I haven't seen it because it's like you know, it's a low stakes movie and uh, you know whatever it's not like it's not like Infinity War or anything where I would have been like in tears right now but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, having said that, uh, we're out of time. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And I want to thank uh, our, 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 our panel of uh, Divinity Masters. Father Chuck, thank you so much. You're welcome. Matt Wells, thank you. You're welcome. And Father Fun, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. Thanks for having me, as always. Everybody have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey. Good journey. Bye. Bye.